Welcome back to our second episode in a series exploring affordable housing and homelessness on the Monterey Peninsula. My name is Angelo Gonzalez, and you are listening to Miss Radio Podcast. And now, Angelo's interview with Maddox Haberdasher, candidate for Monterey City Council 2018. Please enjoy. Maddox? Yes, sir. Uh, first off, how's your day going? It's going great, man. It's a beautiful day. It's Monterey. It's a beautiful day. It's going great. Excellent. Okay. So, speaking of how the day is going, uh, can you enlighten us? Uh, what is a day in the life of Maddox? Um, well, uh, lately it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of research. <laughs> lately, um, getting delving into all the the the, the political like nuances of things. Is, is taking a lot of time so um, a day in the life lately has been just like a lot of research but I also have my own um, I also founded my own brokerage firm which I kind of work on online so half of the day usually is you know, my own company and my own work and then half of the day I try to dedicate to running for public office but lately it's a bit more of a 70-20 like a, like a 90-10 <laughs> sort of situation lately. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, most of the time I just try to try to help the community in that, in ways through my through my brokerage firm and and just study. That's it. So, what do you think uh, the city council work will be like if Um, I think it. Uh, I think it. I think it. Sh- I think it will be solution driven. I think it'll be solution driven. I think that uh, being on the city council will give a, I'll give a unique voice that I don't think that they've had in quite some time, if ever. So it, I think that um, city council, being on the city council, will be enlightening. Yeah. Okay, so if you could uh, maybe expound a little bit on yourself, your background, where sure. you come from. Sure. Um, I recall looking at your bio that uh, you are indeed a veteran. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot to be said about that experience. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And how that relates to uh, folks here in the community. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so I, I moved to, I'm, I'm originally from Western Massachusetts and born and raised. Um, super, super strict parents, actually. And... When I graduated high school, did a semester of college at UMass at Amherst, and then after that, one semester, then I uh, decided to go into the United States Army as a paramedic. And that was, uh, so I was in for 11 years, including quite a few tours, tours in Baghdad, tours all over, combat and on, um, all over the world. And... Uh, Became a decorated combat medic for rendering aid under fire, which I'm very proud of. So um, when I decided to get out of the Army, I was stationed, my last duty station was the Presidio of Monterey. And got out, and I'd never, I'm a Western Massachusetts kid, so I looked out the window and looked at the ocean, and I just fell in love with it and decided I would never leave. So once I decided that, um, I was around 08, and uh a lot of people's lives changed in 08. 
you know, that the, the economy um, became a bit more uh, dynamic. So people had to kind of think things through. So um, at that time, I was I was in clothing. I was a clothing salesman at the time. I started doing more in the community at for like events and things like that. Initially, to get more funds because I wasn't getting as much as I used to. And then over time, it just became something I really enjoyed. And um, through that time, growing and working, I went from working in clothing to being the creative director of a clothing company. So in, in about a nine, eight, nine year span, that kind of happened. And then I was able to branch out and start my own thing. So, in, but in that time, I met so many people that live here and, and uh, people that I worked with and worked alongside, just wonderful people in this area. And I saw that there was a need for um, leadership the kind of leadership that I that I saw not only just in the army in general but just in combat and where I found this in a crisis situation in the city that I fell in love with I know I excel in crisis situations and I just felt compelled to act excellent okay that's great um, thank you for your service mm. uh, thanks for saying it to go through with that and you know I have a brother who was also in the army, and uh, he, he had several terms in Afghanistan. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's hard work. It's, you and it do. changed your perspective of things. Certainly, you know. Yeah, that, very much so. The idea of service, you know, that that mm. I, no words can describe what you've gone through and how you contributed to this country at right. large. And, and not only just service, but being the idea of service above self right. as a paramedic just becomes ingrained. Like I, it's, it's over a decade. So, over a decade in my, I spent my entire 20s in the Army. I went in when I was 19, and I got out when I was 30. So, that whole part of my adult life was, was spent um, as a paramedic in the Army. Right. So, some things are just ingrained in me now. Right, yeah, you speak on that. It reminds me of, like, a continuum, you know, and you're, you're living in this continuum from being a paramedic mm. to going into the clothing fashion industry locally mm. and working with people all around, putting on events. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a continuance of service that you've mm -hmm. been able to uh, reach out, connect to your audience, you know, and really help benefit the community. Uh, and that would, you know, inevitably, you know, lead you to working in city council and working with folks to you know, put into place uh, some policies that would help a lot of folks. Absolutely. Um, in your words, in your own words, uh, how would you define homelessness and what do you first think when someone mentions that word? What's the first thing you think of? Um, when, I, when I think homelessness, when I, when I first think homelessness, my, my, first, uh, my first thought is someone in like an alcove, a little alleyway that has nowhere else to go except the alleyway or he doesn't know about any anything else to do except that and that's where he sleeps and that's not comfortable for anyone so that to me is homelessness when you when you have to sleep outside or in unfavorable conditions at no choice of your own that's homeless you have no when you when you don't have a place to lay your head it's, it's, it's homeless yeah okay um when can you tell us when uh, the first time that it occurred 
um, the, the homelessness situation occurred here uh, up front where you're just like, oh wow, it's happening in my area where I'm living. Well, actually, um, what made it really hit home is, um, so this is uh, a few years ago, I might get my time messed up a little bit, but a few years ago, um, I was playing basketball and I tore my Achilles. And I tore my Achilles and um, I was I was out of work for a while and then um, when I was going when I was gonna go back to work and the job that I had, they found someone else so I couldn't get that job back. So it was, you know, it was it was a little tricky and for me trying to stay in this area, not move and, and, and make it work, I found myself I found myself at the Veterans Transition Center Marina. I was homeless. Had it not been, had it not been for for the Veterans Transition Center, I had a place to sleep because of it, because of the virtues of me being being a veteran that everyone does not have. So, because the the Veterans Transition Center, for lack of a more elegant way to put it, came through in the clutch, then I then I wouldn't have been able to stay here either, and I was desperately trying. So that's when homelessness really hit home for me. I was I was talking to the people that they're talking about as homeless, and and I was. Technically, Veterans Transition Center is a shelter. So I found myself in a shelter. Now it's not just people out there, it's me. And that's what, like, and it, it wasn't just me, it was me and my brothers and sisters in arms. And that, that's when it really hit home. That, you know, like, if you have the capacity to do something, you have to. It's just, it's ingrained in me. It's not, I don't even really think about it. Like, no one's gonna, no one's gonna, like, hey, you didn't help out here. Like, no one's gonna say anything. But I'm compelled. It's an inner thing. So, that's when it really hit home. Just as you say that, I was thinking how those social safety nets for folks are necessary to, to be integrated within any community, right? The idea that if, that, if there wasn't that uh, veterans transit center, um, that wouldn't have been possible. Right. Who knows what kind of options and obstacles right. you have to face. Um, and that was me, like, desperate and, and, and moving around and trying to find all the paperwork and put it all together and people that are, and, and uh, my girlfriend being on the phone with people and trying to, that's people helping me. And tr that's all of that. Mm. What What about the guy that's over on the street and, no, and has no help? How will he even get there? It was hard for me, and I, and I had help. So, what was the the timeline like for? Uh, for how long I, was I there? Right, right, and then you, when so, you got into like uh, sustainable housing situation. So, um, uh, what is this? Twenty eighteen, um, or twenty fourteen, twenty thirteen, something like that. Um, and, I, and, and then uh, the amount of time that I was there was maybe four months. Maybe four months. When I first got there, I was like, I was just getting back on my, uh, like I, I had a walking boot. So I, I wasn't in the cane anymore, but I was hopping around. And so, that's, so that was around that time. So and then from there, I, I was walking again when I left. But it was, it was just this like four month, yeah, about four month period. But it, it, it made all the difference. So that's part of the reason why I always get back to specifically Veterans Transition Center. I, I, I just, 
I feel like they threw me an alley oop. The only thing I could do is give it back. Like yeah. that's the right way. And you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Oh man, oh man, the great. I love Wayne Gretzky. I designed a jacket called the Wayne Gretzky. The Wayne Gretzky, the great one. I um actually I'll, I'll tell you it's a quick little story, but um when I was a creative director of this clothing company and um. A lot of times, especially in clothing, when you become a creative director, then you do like a little capsule collection show. Like it's it's, it's basically like a like a like a clothing designer quinceanera. Like that's, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's like a debutante like ball, really, yeah. right? So, um, so it was my turn. I get to live my time for dreams. Great. So I, I'm doing these pieces, and I decided to do a vignette show. One of the pieces was um, uh, this this sport coat I entitled. Um, Wayne Gretzky. So, based on that 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 uh, quote, you miss 100 percent of the shots that you don't take. But I think there's a lot of people that live by that that ethos of you know you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. So, it's like a society, and I thought of it as a society of shooters. So then I took that and I and I put that onto the jacket. So I made the jacket itself look like a very uh, Ivy League rowing blazer, you know, like solid with the piping. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like a very Ivy League thing. And um, but, the, but the jacket itself was built like uh, a traditional shooting blazer. So the suede patch here, suede here, suede here. Um, the big pockets banded back and like there's like a swing right so you can like move. Because that's a traditional shooting jacket. So for a society of shooters, this would be the jack. So that's, but it was I called the Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I love that coat. I, I I wish I like my model was such a big guy. I wish it was he had been my size. That's what I should have done. <laughs> then I would have wore it still. But it's at home. It's in plastic. It's it's a piece. It, one day it'll be displayed, hopefully at the, at the museum. We'll see. Yeah, that's that's visionary work, man. Yeah, thank I you. Like it. Thank you. And it's funny you mentioned you mentioned that on the side. Uh, one of my best friends I went to college with, uh, he was working in the fashion industry trying to break in. Mm. And um, you have to be you have to be visionary, you know, to, to create anything that is, you know, you're creating an idea, mm-hmm. you know, for other people to wear something that right. you have, you know, right. invested in your mind. That is an incredible feat, you know, in and of yeah. itself. And you can get lost in it because what I learned is... You have your vision. You, you you visualize it, and then you describe it, and then you direct people to make it. But if you're trying to fit trends, or if you're trying to fit, in, then then it's then it's bound to fail. You just have to walk in your truth, and I mean, and tell other people about it. Maybe you know the the awareness will pull people to you, but you have to walk in your truth. That's that's what makes things different. That's what made. Donatello Versace that's what made Tom Ford that's what made you see Ryan walking in their truth and then other people latched on to it yeah. so that it, and it's a harder road but it's more rewarding like the, the road less traveled is always that way for a reason Yeah. you know okay. so yeah there's a pot of gold and of course the road less traveled nobody wants you going <laughs> down there there's a pot of gold down there yeah well, so it's the journey too that leads you to that point where yes you're creating something of a concept of a framework mm-hmm. but a methodology and that in itself is uh, fuzzy to most mm. people you know so it's being able to simplify something that someone can compute you know uh, with with you know measurements mm-hmm. and sizes and, mm-hmm. and things like that which 
aesthetically is pleasing to the eye. You know. Absolutely. I've had so many guys I've made custom clothing for, and everyone has style. Everyone has style. Sometimes it's it's tricky to try to uh, exude your style through ready-made clothing because it's, it's already made wasn't made to exude your style per se right. so I I find that like with with everything you know you, you got you gotta help people pull out their best version of themselves that's mm-hmm. why I've always done it the, my, the clothing it just happens to be like one of my, one of my favorite mediums right. that's, that's when I feel like I'm an artist yeah. Yeah, an artist and I'm, but at the end of the day I know that if I can make put people uh, in a better mood and they feel better about themselves, and then if we're friends or if we're a community, high tide raises all boats. Right. That's investing in like human capital for a way. Absolutely, yeah. and I believe that those are the building blocks to, of a renaissance. Exactly. That's that's the thing. Um, I saw a TED talk the other day, and it was talking about how two businessmen went to Africa, and one person said, "Oh." There's no business here, you know? No one wears shoes, obviously. They're all walking barefoot. And then the second guy went into that same community and was like, oh, great, they don't have shoes yet, you know? Exactly. So you, you see that, and then if, if you're a leader, you know, and in this particular case, it definitely applies to mm-hmm. city council. Mm-hmm. Those who are compelled to lead have to believe in who they're leading, you know? Absolutely. It'd be like Martin Luther King Jr. saying like, I have a dream. But I'm not sure they're quite up to it yet. Right, you know? right, exactly. Um, you got he had he had to have the dream and walk in his truth, yeah. and then other people saw virtue in that truth, and then and then got on board. Right. But if he was, oh well, what do you guys want to? Do? Oh man, well what do you, he saw it, and, and and then he had to and then he had to act. I feel like my job is to be the mechanics of the dream. Somebody had to dream it. Thanks, Emma, okay? So I had to dream it. Then what? Dream, then what? Dream, then do. You know what I mean? You can't visualize. Then you have to describe it. Then you have to direct it. That's that's just leadership. Like, (laughs) Like, I can't even, that's just leadership. That's just what it is, yeah. It'd be like if you came up with just the concept of the Wayne Gretzky jacket, but didn't actually, you know, formalize it, it it would never come true. Right. Right, you have to bring it into physical form. Have to. Oh, let's see. Show. Did you feel um, if if you were to become uh, part of the city council as a member, uh, what kind of influence and what kind of imparting actions would you like to pursue uh, regarding uh, homelessness and just overall? Uh, you know, affordable housing, um, and what does that look like to you? I'm glad you asked. Um, Fort Ord is the answer. Fort Ord is the answer. It's 18,000 acres, something like that, of, of land that's just sitting dormant right now. And FORA, the Fort Ord Reuse Authority, has jurisdiction on it right now. But their jurisdiction is due to sunset in 2020. That happens, then some of the, because each city has a little sliver of it that, that, that they're in charge of. If it sunsets, then all those uh, fail safes go away and uh, independent developers could come in, develop it, and people can make a bunch of money, and it might not even be housing. Hmm. 
but there's just just uh, Seaside alone has 1,100 acres. Monterey has a uh, 100-acre parcel, but it doesn't matter. If it's sitting there and it's empty and somebody slept on the street, then something's wrong. If, they, if they're not even trying to get, I don't even, you, if they're not even trying to get tents and put them up in the grassy areas, then somebody's not thinking it through. So um, as far as Monterey goes, even though they only have a 100-acre parcel, when I think of Monterey and I think of um, its uh, little, uh, its nickname, First City. First City sounds like first responder. That you see the problem, you act. Hopefully everybody else jumps on board, but you don't wait for that. You act. And I, I think that uh, the inaction is what will change drastically. On the on the city council. Excellent. And it's interesting you, you bring up you know the the divided courses uh, between uh, Fort Ord, you know between all the uh, towns in the area. Um, and with that, I think one of the things that comes to my mind is uh, well, even if it is a really small part of the map, right, in comparison to the rest uh, that is afforded to the other cities in the area. Um, when you put into place some sort of action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? And and part of that would be, you know, we're in the business of influencing, you know, and so if you put in some sort of affordable or public housing type situation, you know, you're influencing the neighboring areas to, you know, consider doing the same. Right, right. And like this, you know, we, we build a community-wide focus of like, Let's help each other out. You know? Right. Like it should be, it should be a competition between the, between the cities. How many people did you house today? Right. That what a wonderful, what a wonderful competition. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to house the most. I want to do the. Mo- what a great competition. I hope people. I would love if people got heated about it. Great. But but I but that's not what we're seeing. Right. We're 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 seeing. Um, you know, I always say uh, the water in Ferguson is still poison because the people that make the rules don't drink it. Monterey is in a housing crisis because the people that know, that make the rules are housed. Mm. That's powerful. That is powerful. Because if you think about it, um, and I know you have, is that what we're looking to do is give voice to the voiceless. Right. You know. Like you were just saying, the guy who has no options, who's in the alleyway, uh, those are the folks who need the most amount of help. Those are the folks who would stand to benefit, you know, if someone reached out to them and said, hey, let's get you up off your feet, you know, get you cleaned up, get a haircut, you know, get a nice Wayne Gretzky jacket. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. And then like that, they feel good about themselves. Absolutely. But the, 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 the trick in this area a lot is... It's so expensive to live in mm. that it's very hard to take your focus off uh, rent or take your focus off of just your basic survival needs to start being a voice in community and start being, you know, when you, when you have two jobs and you're a single mom or two and you're trying to get across town every time, you, you're not you're not worried about what they're doing on the city council. Online. You know, you know what I mean. Like you, it, it's very difficult. It's not on your radar. Exactly. Yeah. For me, I had to try to get way in front of that. Like, 
my my friend would be going a lot better right now if I was 100% focused on it. But I'm not because I'm doing this. If I was selfish, I'd be like, oh man, I don't need to do this. I'll make money anyway. I'm out of here. But it, but that's not the right way to do it. So then I have so because of that, I have less money. But I believe that I'm doing it for the people. So you know, it's just a, like I I win in honor. I win in virtue. I get paid. I get like I get paid in virtue and honor every day. There's some kid the other day that said that um, I inspired him. He was. He said, "You're like Obama." I thought I was going. To, I thought I was going to cry. He said, "You're like Obama. You inspire me." I already won. I already won. Because I'm not leaving, and I'm determined to affect change. So either I'm on the city council, or they have to deal with me constantly. One of the two. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah. And and I never, and I'm never one to rage at the machine straight on. I'm a for a time I was a major in that time I was a, a major D for a few uh, for a while actually for about a year. And anytime I'm in something like I, I get all the way in it. I try to at least. And um, I always try to be a very major D about things. Never want to upset this person or this person or this person. I don't want to hurt anybody. But I'm a, I'm also on a mission. Precarious, to say the least. But they'll have to every time something comes up. Not only will they have to deal with me standing there, they'll have to deal with not only what I'm saying, but what is he trying to do? Hmm. Oh, he just he just wants the city council to uh, say yes to um, rezoning just this one parcel of land. Can we do that? See, they don't know what I'm doing, so they're like, oh, I don't, because I don't want to upset anybody. I, I don't want to. I don't want to ruffle feathers because I do. Then I, the fail safes go off, shut everything down, and they'll realize I'm working for the people and push me out. I have to. I hate to say it this way. I have to infiltrate. Right. Well, there's two different ways that government operates, I believe, is that, like, you can either go in the direction of acting mm-hmm. as a state, or you can go in the way in which you're enacting. In most states, especially now, instead of, like, getting anything done, they're you know, being stalled. Mm-hmm. You know, processes are taking longer. Uh, in certain cases where they shouldn't, you know, they should right. be expedited. But, that, but, but those are the things that, like, if there's some paperwork that needs to be signed so that people can get off the street and it needs six signatures, you go to that person, I'm going to stand next to you until you sign this or tell me why you won't. And then I got to rework it and bring it. I'm going to stand here. Until I don't care if it's the weekend. I don't care if it's after five. I don't until you sign it. And then once that happens, then you go to the next one. Then you go to the next one. Then you go to the next. The last guy is gonna be real easy because he heard already <laughs> that I'm relentless. So, but but that's that's really pushing. But if you if you have somewhere to sleep every night, then we can deal with it after the holiday on Tuesday. There you go. Yeah. And like that, you know. I mean. You're already really great at what you do already with, with event planning and getting people to the table, getting people in one room to converse. And like, you create you create spaces. Very much so. To where communication is possible. Very um, much so. And that, that plays huge, hugely in your favor as far as your platform. Um, regardless of whether it's left or right, you're very straightforward. 
So one last question before we wrap up. Um, do you see any foreseeable policies uh, within the near future? Um, I know lately in the news, one thing that I've come across is uh, like 3D printed homes. There's a there's a housing nonprofit based in San Francisco called New Story. They've teamed up with Icon, which is a construction tech company that designs 3D printers. Uh, and they just built a 350 square foot structure at 10,000 and it just took 48 hours to build. And just recently they announced that they feel like they have the confidence just now to build a 600 to 800 square foot home in just 24 hours for $4,000 or less. This is part of a new growing trend of 3D printing technology. Are you asking me if I want their phone number? Yes. <laughs> is that what you're asking me? Do I want right? a link? Yes, I want a link. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. not even... See what I mean? Like, I don't even... Question. Yeah. Let's link. If it don't work, what's... So, what's... It's like in my... It's, it's very army of me, but threat assessment. Any any negativities? No. What's the, what's the, the lowest positive? You meet another person that's trying to affect change. That's the lowest positive. It, it excels from there. That's enough of a positive right there for me to just reach out. Boom. I know it could be way more. When I do my threat assessment, worst case scenario, I meet some great guys and, and, I, and, and then we stay linked. Who knows how that'll go? We had coffee. Boom, boom. I was in San Francisco for the, and probably met them and maybe went to a concert. No one lost in that scenario. That's worst case. Best case scenario is Monterey County is the Michelin star of counties and no one inside our gates is ever homeless. That's best case. In my opinion, there's only three kinds of people out of here. Businessmen, or business owners, residents, and guests. That's it. If you came to my house, you'd be a guest. You're not, you're not sleeping on the floor, but neither is my lady. She lives there. You're my guest. I have to take care of both. Yeah, it'd be easier to do one or the other. But get, but when you're a leader, you don't get that option. Everything. Everything. There's no... You have to set the standard high if you, if you want to accomplish anything. If, you, if you're setting it at a mediocre level that you can easily get over, then you won't even care about getting over that because it's not, it's not even a strike. You have to set it high and then shoot for it if you want to be a leader, a real leader. Excellent. Yeah. Like when I, when I was, what I learned a long time ago is real leaders eat last, always. Real leaders eat last, always. So if you're a leader and there's people that are under you that are sleeping on the ground and you sleep in a house, then you're not a real leader. Real leaders eat last. Mm. That's powerful stuff. Yeah. Keep it real, man. I love it. No, yeah, this has been great. Um, you're always welcome to come on this podcast. Ah, uh, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great. Yeah, but you know what? One of these days, I have to. I'll bring the Wayne Gretzky jacket. Hey, let's go. Yeah, I'll bring the jacket, <laughs> man. I love yeah. to see it, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's cool because it's like a it's like a clothing metaphor. It is. Yeah. It is. I I never thought you know the great one would come up in a podcast, but hell yeah. Yeah, man. Well, when you're the great one. When you're, <laughs> when you're the great one. Who yeah. knows when you'll pop off? Exactly. No doubt. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It was my absolute pleasure. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. And thanks for, thanks for being in the city. I appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome.
Thank you again, Maddox Haberdasher, for illustrating wonderful points and also a beautiful story coming in from your perspective. Again, this is the second episode in a series exploring affordable housing and homelessness on the Monterey Peninsula. The episode is part of a three-part series outlined in part to illustrate three different perspectives. The first part is a political, as we have reached out to several candidates running for office for the city of Monterey to gain a better understanding of the policies and address the root problems. The second part will be an academic perspective with concrete definitions and frameworks of what homelessness is and what exactly does that mean for the rest of our community here in Monterey. Lastly, and most importantly, in our three-part series, we will converse with folks directly affected by homelessness and affordable housing situations here in Monterey. Thank you again for listening, and please do spread the word on our podcast. You can like and follow our page on Facebook by looking up Miss Radio. You can also look us up on Spotify, Stitcher, or Anchor. Again, thank you to my colleague and friend, Gabe Sanders, for allowing this production to become a reality. I look forward to the future contributions on this podcast and allowing for more intellectually stimulating conversation and sustainable change, both here in our home and wherever there is a necessity to help those around you. This podcast is by no reflection of the university, but purely opinions brought to you by the Miss Radio Podcast Group. Thank you.